really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram, at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. By the way, we did get another five-star review last week, which was just smashing. Uh, if you can take a moment to do the same thing, and, and if you actually write something, I'll be more than happy to read about it, uh, read it out here on the pod for sure. Anyway, naturally, we have a lot to cover this week. So with all the admin out of the way, let's get the show rolling. So as always, we start uh, with current updates. And for any of you who tuned in last week, you will obviously already know our family plans for the week we had off. Uh, they were completely scuppered by my son testing positive for COVID at kindergarten. Great. Anyway, I'm relieved and thankful that he never actually got sick at all. And my partner and I have remained negative the whole time. Uh, I understand we're very, very lucky. I've tried to, you know, I've tried very hard to keep that in mind all week for sure. And if you want to spin it, there was at least one positive outcome, which was I got to do a series of interviews I've been looking forward to. And we completed another round of the uncreatively named week of interviews. We got a very special visit from both John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, which was an absolute treat. Then it was the triumphant return of Will Owen, who would again go on to blow my mind in terms of his knowledge of all things Welsh rugby. What a guy. Next up was Carwin Harris from the Uneducated Rugby Podcast, and that made him our first ever Welsh voice on the show. That was great. Carwin was fantastic. Uh, it was awesome to get the inside scoop from him, especially about Women's Six Nations and the URC, and of course the Welsh clubs in particular, just wonderful stuff. And then, finally, it was the sixth, yes, sixth countum appearance of Phil from the Jacks Rangers show. We spent some time getting to know him and his own rugby journey a little bit more before we uh, inevitably got got, uh, got into our beloved Free Jacks in the MLR. Anyway, frankly, I've, I've never talked so much rugby in so little time, and it was a bit exhausting, frankly. So, that being said, I'm just so fortunate to have so many amazing and insightful guests who are generous with their time. It was a magical week in many ways. John, Craig, Will, Carwin, and Phil, thanks again to all of you for joining the Scrum of the Earth to talk all manner, uh, all manner of things in the world of rugby union. You all are the best. It's too good. It's too good. People have to know. Well, Eliza, I, I feel like the news is neither good nor bad this week. Just kind of the same old, same old. You know... <laughs> this week, Nigel Owens once again weighed in on the officiating that we saw over the weekend. You know, I'm pretty sure a while ago he said, you know what, I just want to retire to my farm now. But people just keep throwing money at him and saying, hey, it's X dollars for you to give us five minutes. And it creates all this extra content, which is obviously what they want. So this week, the ensuing article said, Nigel Owens has criticized the inconsistency of the citing procedure, arguing that too many people are involved in the process. His com uh, comments come after Breve's Axel Mueller, received a five-week ban for a dangerous high tackle on Saracens winger Ben Harris in the Challenge Cup. Much has been said about the sanctioning administered. The EPCR agreed the tackle warranted a 10-week suspension, but decided to have it when taking into consideration Mueller's clear disciplinary record and his guilty plea. 
Red cards and the sighting process are brought under the microscope frequently, but Owens is adamant that the fault doesn't lie at the feet of the referees, who he claims have been pretty consistent across the board. Instead, he said it lies with the sighting procedure and the bans handed out afterwards. Quote, there are too many people involved in the sighting process, and when you have that, opinions can vary, Owens said. Uh, and some have not been players or referees themselves at the highest level, unquote. Look, I love Nigel Owens. I mean, seriously, he's a tremendous figure in the sport I hold dear. I've always loved him. Uh, but he's called it quits. Can we just all abide by that? Can we just give it all a break, please? Maybe? Moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are on the playoffs. And while I know most rugby competitions don't even call it that, we all know that's what it is, right? In fact, <laughs> I've heard a lot of people sort of chirping about phrases like the first quarter, when obviously there are no quarters in rugby, and especially a lot of people complaining about terms like the red zone, which again, is not a rugby thing, but we all know it, and it immediately makes sense, right? Can we all chill a little bit here? So anyway, folks, the URC is headed toward their round of 16. The Prem 2, uh, they're sort of too snooty to accept that many teams, despite being a league that you could physically house in like the bottom third of Texas. Um, but they will begin their semifinals around the same weekend. And of course, MLR is on track to produce its best postseason to date uh, with the expanded format. There's just so much incredible rugby coming right now that, you know, I'm just very excited. We're headed towards an amazing stretch here. So just for the record, for my big picks coming up, if I can call them that. Uh, so in Women's Six Nations, I'm saying England are going to beat France by a bunch. I'm saying, I don't know, uh, 42 to 14 at the end in a grand slam for the Grumpets. Um, I say Harlequins win the Prem, though not by a lot. I'll say maybe five points in total in that final. Um, I say Leinster are going to win yet another URC title uh, and that it won't be close. They should just whip in any, any and all comers by at least 14 without too much sweat. And I say my Free Jacks win the MLR trophy as underdogs against a Western opponent. That uh, I can see it. I can see it. Anyway, all these results are long and longer ways out, but I wanted to get them on record just so people could criticize me about it later because that's what it's really all about. So good luck to me. So, of course, that brings us to our reviews for the weekend. Well, the uh, the European tournaments, they've gone dormant for a couple of weeks. They're coming back in May on the 6th, 7th, and 8th. And that means the URC and the Prem were back in full this week. So, starting with the URC, we got a Friday uh, threefer. I always have a hard time saying that. Friday threefer. I won't say it. Anyway, Friday started off with Glasgow, traveling down to South Africa to face the Stormers. It did not go well for the Warriors. Um, I think I'd go so far as to say they kind of stunk it up out there, scoring the first try of the match and then seemingly just falling asleep with just a completely somnambulant performance the rest of the way, eventually letting the Stormers get a bonus point try right at the end, and it was just never close. If you missed it somehow, uh, I did mention just now that John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast have been on recently. We did a massive preview of this, and uh, John was deservedly worried going into this one, but I don't think any of us foresaw just how one-sided it would become. By the way, quick side note, I've been sitting on for a long time now. So, Skara Entubene, the hooker for the Stormers, he's an awesome player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say bad stuff about him. But one thing must be said, he really looks like a homeless guy who fell asleep next to a statue and got pooped on by 142 pigeons. No judgment, just saying. Anyway, of course... We talked about how much simpler the path looked for the other Scottish team with Edinburgh at home the rest of the way, and on top of that advantage, they were facing winless Zebra. All signs were pointing Edinburgh's way, and then they actually took the field and started tripping over themselves and knocking balls forward and generally making a hash of things. So after giving up a tying penalty try, Zebra would be the next team to score, and 
they had a rare lead. It was 7-12 to in the waning moments of the first half. Uh, through one and a half games involving the Scottish clubs this weekend, things were looking very ugly. Uh, but just before the half, Cammy Hutchinson, a player I admit I'm pretty unfamiliar with, he broke through uh, right as the period ended, and with Van de Vault's uh, extras left at the post, retaking the lead for Edinburgh. Sure enough, Zebre retook the lead only minutes into the second half when Marshall Sykes got red-carded and the booze came raining down. I wonder if Craig was one of them. Anyway, at long last, with the final quarter to go, Mark Bennett, he showed some beautiful footwork on a breakaway off an errant pass by Zebre, and Edinburgh found themselves in possession of a seven-point lead and a bonus point try on the board. Far from over, I wrote. So then it really became a who-can-shoot-themselves-in-the-foot contest, and uh, Zebre, they had it deep in Edinburgh territory, still a man up, at least three times in a row. Zebre would have what looked like an easy run-in, only to spill it or cough it up at the breakdown. But the home team, they just wouldn't get any real clearance. And sure enough, Zebre slammed one through right between the uprights and looked to draw the match level. We almost saw a complete disaster at that moment, by the way, with the ball starting to fall off the tee. The kicker had to pick it up and boot it by hand while he was being rushed down. Very quick reaction on his part, and woo, what a difference maker. However, Van de Vault, he quick, uh, he uh, shortly after that kicked a penalty to retake the lead again with two and a half minutes left. Would it all be for naught for the visitors? So a penalty was given to the Italian side with only 30 seconds left, and boldly, it was them for the corner. Perfect line-out, promising driving ball, and then somehow, and I, I honestly have no idea how, the home side turned it over with the clock already in the red. They oh so barely escaped with a narrow victory. I have to assume that Craig has actually been hospitalized after attending this one. What a ringer. And I do have to say, if I'm a Zebra fan, I appreciate they're going for the win rather than the draw after the way this season's gone for them. Even though they didn't get the result, I would stand by the decision big time. Woo, that was a close one. Next up, Ulster. We're at home for Munster. And I was honestly wondering how Ulster would bounce back from their all-time kick-in-the-nads defeat this past weekend. I was t really curious, basically, if it would be one of those sort of, well, guys, we might as well pack it in kind of moments, or if it would be the opposite, if it would be the old, oh, they think we can't win? Watch this kind of response. It, you know, honestly, this one looked potentially very spicy. <laughs> I mentioned on the pod last week that uh, before the last Munster match, uh, Peter Omani managed to resist the urge to cheap shot any of the kids who were unlucky enough to come out onto the field with the team. While I was saying this to Craig and John, I almost just died on the spot when Craig speculated that they had probably lined up several other kids in the locker room, formed a cheap shot ahead of time before the cameras started rolling, just sort of get it out of the system. The truth will out, people. Anyway, the game itself, Ulster looked, hey, look at me, as I predicted, looked a bit shell-shocked, uh, but they would eventually find some sort of footing. So, Later on, after 55 minutes, it was 10 to 18, and it felt hard to know if it was going to remain close. It just felt like one side was going to bust it open. Oddly, it never actually felt close, but sure enough, with about three minutes left, it was 17 to 21, but confidence was very low. A yellow against Munster would have seemed to have given maybe a bit of a spark, but it was clearly too late. The fans poured out like water from a drain pipe as Munster down a man, one away, 17 to 24, and the body blows. They keep coming for Ulster. Ouch. On Saturday, Bulls, they were at uh, loftus Versfeld at home to face Benetton. And, uh, you know, Bulls won big time. It was 46-29. to 29. Again, not a lot of close rugby being played just yet, in the, especially down in the Rainbow Nation. Uh, these teams, however, would be pumped. The, the knocks on them early on all look and sound kind of ridiculous right about now, eh? Those South African sides are no joke. Next up, Dragons were at home for Scarlets. 
dragons were back to their usual tricks, just dropping one that was never close, even at home at the Rodney parade. You know, it might be time to give somebody else a parade. doesn't seem to be working for Rodney at the moment. <laughs> anyway, 19 to 38 was the latest embarrassing double up for them. Cardiff, they hosted Ospreys. My friend Carwin must have been greatly moved to see his boys getting a win on the road, 6-22 to in an underwhelmer, to be sure. At this point, I honestly just don't want to say anything negative about any Welsh anything, because it kind of just feels like throwing a flying elbow to someone who's already prone and unconscious. And by that, I mean it's not worth risking hurting my elbow. Anyway, Lions were at home to face Connacht, and somehow... My guy's got to win away, somehow prevailing by just three points when it was all said and done. I will very, very happily take a 30 to 33 road win anywhere in South Africa. And it was the Jack Cardi show to be sure, but more on that later. Finally, Sharks, they welcomed, welcomed Powerhouse Leinster. And it was <laughs> it was super funny because even I, who, who, who you know never see any actual rugby coverage anywhere, even I, saw the South African press and how up in arms they were and their sort of indignance level that Leinster sent a decidedly underpowered side to South Africa. And Leinster got bit by it a little bit to the tune of a 28 to 23 loss. The table implications look a lot bigger than I had speculated. Speaking of which, let's glance real quick at the league table with just the two rounds remaining. So Leinster's loss didn't really, didn't nearly knock them off the top with their 61 points, but Stormers, they did vault into second with 52. So Munster, Sharks, and Ulster are all locked at 51, followed by Glasgow and Edinburgh at 50 and 49, with the Bulls rounding out the eighth spot at 48. So Scarlets, they're still holding on to an outside shot, but it, it looks pretty unlikely at this stage. Um, Connacht are next closest to them, but they're seven off of Scarlets. I think they're done, unfortunately. I have a feeling we're pretty locked in for the playoffs, and I am getting psyched. Moving on to the Gallagher Premiership. They are back to what I consider their sort of usual format, which is two Friday fixtures, three on Saturday, and then one on Sunday. This week, Friday, featured Bristol versus Gloucester. The Bears, they came out firing, going up 14-0, only just about the eight-minute mark. It was incredible. By the way, Andy Good, he was on comms for this one, among others. And I have to say, I, I honestly can't really handle listening to his pod, uh, mostly because of Big Jim, but... Uh, I do very much appreciate his insights on comms. And he mentioned what a great opportunity this was for Gloucester, and things did not go to plan, at least to start off with. So, Gloucester, they fought back, getting a try of their own, and then shortly thereafter, a sublime pass from Adam Hastings to Lewis Reese Zammett, and it was 17-14, to 14, about 25 minutes in. Then it was Chris Harris' turn, giving Gloucester their first lead, 17-21 to 21 at the half-hour mark. What a turnaround. I wonder if in the last few minutes we've seen a microcosm of Bristol's season on the whole, say the comms, and oh my yes. Oh, they also pointed out that Bristol have conceded at least 20 points in the first half, four matches in a row. Ouch. So scoring did pretty much dry up in the second half, with eventually Bristol retaking the lead with a converted try around 68 minutes, very late. And then the card game continued, Gloucester getting a yellow before being outdone by Sam Bedlow getting his first ever red. I might have to go through these games just to look at the number of cards. Was there an inordinate number of cards this weekend? It, it feels like it, but maybe that's just, you know, anecdotal. Anyway, the columns again mentioned how much was on the line for the Cherry and Whites. And in a blink, they went from a losing bonus point only to a potential victory with bonus point try. It was 24 to 28 with five minutes to play. Great stuff. So, <laughs> so I was watching this one with my son, by the way, whose whole thing is to constantly switch which side he's supporting based on the current higher score. He's, he's a classic front runner. So he'd gone back and forth several times in this one. 
And he was sure that Gloucester had, uh, had it when Bristol, only a minute and a half to go, dotted down another go-ahead score this time. And Callum Sheedy was desperate to milk the clock to the end. However, he missed the extras and didn't get the clock into the red. So Bristol, they would have another restart. Great beginning to the Prem this weekend, I've got to say. But Gloucester, they coughed it up when they simply couldn't afford to. Bristol were able to kick the leather off the thing and into touch and off into the win column. Terrible news for Gloucester and the Bears. Well, well, they're 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 still Bristol, I suppose. We also had Newcastle versus London Irish, and Reese it, I I stupidly looked at Twitter on Friday evening and I saw that friend of the pod James Dealey's side got a massive win over the staggering Newcastle Falcons. There was the rare double red card very late, but not much else to write home about. London Irish won 14 to 42 in a in a bit of an eyesore game, if I'm honest. So Saturday brought us Bath versus Northampton, and Bath, who I'm always rubbishing, really showed up and took control, let's say, early and often. How about that? Um, after about three quarters of the game had elapsed, the home team were up big, 31 to 12, and all I could think was, thank all gods it's not raining. Naturally, Saints scored again to narrow the margin, then yet again to get it within a single converted try, and folks, we had a game on our hands. Sure enough, Northampton, the Saints scored again, and it was level at 31 with all of 90 seconds to go. Okay, you listeners know, I'm nowhere near being an expert, and it's true that the Saints looked to be in good position to get some points to steal a win, but they looked so stagnant and just awful. They were all, all their players were clumped together in weird bunches. Nobody was actually moving without the ball. They had no patterns. I couldn't see any types of plays at all being run. They just looked like they didn't know what their own offense was supposed to look like. It was sort of like, okay, I'm standing here, surrounded by some other dudes. Uh, oh, is that the ball? Was that pass for me? Okay, I guess I'll run, uh, I don't know, straight ahead? Guys, it, it was a mess. And I foresaw an ill conclusion to the proceedings in this one. It had draw written all over it, and that's not even one of my dumb puns. Well, yet another bizarre ending, though, with Luke Pierce awarding a try after the clock was dead based on an advantage. That was a new one for me. The Saints, they crept out of the venue with a win that stunned the Bath fans. A very strange ending, to be sure. But as a neutral, it it, it kind of felt right somehow. Oh, and sucked at the same time. Okay, everybody. Ooh, man. Next up, Harlequins. They were at home to face league-leading Leicester. Almost tripped myself that time. The comms, they started us off with... To say Joe Marler was fired up in the pregame, well, that would be an understatement. I am with you, Joe Marler. I am with you. So, it would take my picks for the repeat champions all of three minutes, or maybe three and a half to get their first try. But if this weekend has taught us anything, the first 20 minutes mean basically nothing. So I'm going to make some tea and try to calm down. And Tigers, of course, they weren't daunted with Nadolo, as the comms described, doing Nadolo things, which in this case meant scoring a gorgeous try while... Uh, turning several normal adult males into dust. What a start to this contest as Marcus, hoping for redemption, Smith got himself a sneaky try. Only 11 minutes had passed, and I wrote, I need to find my seatbelt. Oh my word, it's tied at 12 at 28 minutes. These sides look so well matched at the moment, but Nadolo, he's huge part of that for the Tigers, and they rarely have him, you know, they really keep him in past like 55 minutes. Uh, on the replay, it looked like Esterhausen got a bit hurt on the tackle he made, but I doubted that he would let it bother his insane self. With the extra three, Harlequins then led it 15-12 to 12 at the break. So Genji, coming in at the 45-minute mark. By the way, his hair looks very expensively manicured right now. Dang, he's, he's hit a new level in a myriad of ways. 
Uh, anyway, with only three minutes to go, like Quinn's, they were up by just three and then get another three before closing this one out. Excellent stuff for my fired up Harlequins. Lester, they may have been served notice these last couple of games. Uh, they definitely have to be looking ahead in the calendar and thinking about those late games in the semifinals for sure. Anyway, next up was what I called last week the War of the Ws with waffling wasps welcoming woeful Worcester Warriors. <laughs> I kinda, I'm kind of proud of that one, sadly. Anywho, uh, I took a look at these lineups and I realized it was a golden opportunity to skip ahead in huge chunks. And boy, did that strategy ever pay off for me. With Doohan, you know, presumably sitting in a cold, dark room with only a single low-watt bulb sort of swaying ominously back and forth somewhere, Worcester had absolutely nothing cooking. With about a quarter hour to go, it was equally one-sided and boring. 29-7 at the time. You know, as a fan of his, it was nice to see Jacob, Jacob Umanga making a difference out there. But overall, just not an appetizing offering on what looked like a fine day. Uh, 41 to 12 was what the day brought you if you were there. So then on Sunday, in a rematch of the final from just a few years ago, Saracens, they hosted Exeter. And I, I think the Chiefs are officially done, at least this year. They showed signs as they always do, but, you know, whatever it is, they don't have it this year. Every positive thing from them was countered by two from the series. I'm honestly starting to, to worry that the Death Star is once again fully operational. <clears throat> they still commit too many penalties. Owen Farrell sincerely looks like a constipated blind man whenever he lines up a kick. But as a team, I mean, oof, they're just rolling right now. 38-22 to 22 at the Stone X was the final score and the final tally of the weekend in the Prem. So, just to look quickly at the table and the playoff scenarios. Uh, we already chatted about the URC, but I skipped the Prem entirely. So... As we kind of mentioned, only four teams make the playoffs, or what I'm calling the playoffs, in the Prem. So we've got three rounds remaining. This weekend was huge, and if things were called to a halt right now, that would give us Leicester Tigers hosting the North Northampton Saints, which utterly shocked me, i got to say. And then we would have Saracens, home to face Harlequins. Exeter and Gloucester still have a kind of reasonable outside shot, while London Irish Wasps and Sale have a statistical possibility, if not a probability, Saints look the most likely team to fall out in the next couple of weeks, and London Irish, I can see finding a sneaky way in. But I have a gut feeling that this is the format we're going to see in June. We shall find out. It'll be great. So, also this weekend, Women's Six Nations. It also returned this weekend, and we had on Friday, Wales at home for France, and once again, Sansu was on fire. Uh, France looked like they were on cruise control almost the whole way. It was another round where France virtually disappeared in the second half, though, they had been up, you know, zero to twenty-six going into the break, but they only won the second stanza five to seven. So yet again, we're we're kind of stuck talking, you know, positive takeaways and potential learnings rather than successful results. Uh, as mentioned earlier, my new friend Carwin Harris had what some might describe as a borderline irrational level of confidence in his Welsh side. Uh, it must have been a tough result for him, among many others, obviously. The atmosphere, though, oh man, it looked incredible, and I'm I'm just absolutely loving the vibes that are coming along with this tournament this year. Is it me or does it seem, I don't know, just an entirely higher level of everything for women's uh, rugby this year? Knowing there are women who can be role models for girls and young women who just need to see that doing this professionally is legitimately an option. It's just so big. And despite the disparate results over the first few rounds, I don't know. It just feels like a massive corner has been turned. I just feel the enthusiasm at a whole new level. It's very exciting for me. Anyway, Saturday featured Italy at home for Scotland, and wow, dude, things in Italy are really looking up. Italy beat Scotland 20-13 to in a very exciting match, though a bit painful as a Scotland fan. 
Scotland, they were in fact leading at the half again, but Italy outscored a 17-3 in the second period with Silvia Turani's converted try in the final 10 minutes, making the difference in Parma. Both sides actually kicked penalties. That, that was a new one for, for this tournament this year. Two apiece, in fact. Uh, but uh, both, both the visitors were only able to get a solitary try. I was supposed to say, but the visitors were only able to get a solitary try. That was close to intermission, and then that was it. Bupkis. Anyway, I think I've talked enough about Scotland losing recently. On Sunday, we saw the almighty England back at home for Ireland. Yikes. Did they bust out the big wood? Ireland were shut out entirely while the Red Roses poured on 69 points. Get this. They scored tries at minutes 1, 16, 41, 44, 50, 54, 60, 63, 66, 72, and 76. I mean, whew, what a display. Now, now, to be fair, Ireland were reduced to 14 players for a yellow card early in the second half, followed by a red not long after. And to their credit, they did force six turnovers in just the second frame alone. But clearly, as much as it hurts my soul to say, England are a cut above the rest by quite a ways. It's been a smashing tournament, frankly, and uh, it really feels like the profile of the women's game has been dramatically lifted. Just lovely and positive signs all around. Truly great to see. Okay, everybody, in Super Rugby Pacific, it is what they've tabbed, perhaps uncreatively, the Super Round, which for us just means all 12 teams converged in Melbourne at the AAM, AAMI Park, where the entire round would be played. Pretty cool, actually. I mean, it's no unicorn festival, but still. In any event, on Friday... Chiefs were facing the Waratahs. For that first 20 minutes or so, it looked like an absolute laugher with the Taws getting a red card two minutes in, followed by a yellow shortly thereafter. Chiefs, oh my God, they already had themselves a bonus point with Waratahs getting only a single penalty kick. That was in the first, I think, 15 minutes. However, of course, in the second half, the script flipped completely with Waratahs creeping their way back into it. At the 53-minute mark, the score was 30-27, to working a lineup from a perfect 50-22 they got by the way, the the let's have Sonny Bill Williams do comms experiment continued this week for some reason. And folks, can we maybe just toss that particular notion? It, look, if you want an all-time great rugby player, ask SBW. If you need a champion boxer, by all means, ask SBW. But if you need timely and incisive comments during a game, well, you might want to find a better option. Like, I, I don't know, a, a store mannequin or maybe this rock I just found. In any event, uh, momentum was lost. Chiefs, they scored another try to get back to a 10-point edge. Jonah Lowe's hat trick would make it 44-27 to as we went into the final 10 minutes. And I wrote, stop talking about momentum as a little note to myself, because apparently I don't know anything about it. Also, side note, imagine living in that part of the world, being named Jonah Lowe and not being good at rugby. This guy had no choice, right? In any event, we clearly don't have to worry about that, as the Taws coughed up what looked like a golden opportunity. Lowe was in for his fourth try to seal a big win, 51 to 27, a tale of three thirds, if I can coin a new phrase. And, uh, you know, a pretty exciting opener for the Super Round. Next up on the schedule was Moana Pacifica. Unfortunately, COVID once again caused them to call off this match. Uh, they were due to play the force. I haven't heard yet what the plan might be for a reschedule. They didn't mention, you know, which camp even had the outbreak. But at this point, I get that. Let's just move on. And here's hoping that a reasonable date to make it up can come soon. On Saturday, it was the Blues facing the Fijian Drua. I feared yet another obliteration in this one, but for that first you know, 20 to 30 minutes, 
things can look really promising if you've never seen teams like the Blues or the Crusaders play before. Blues took a 21-10 uh, to 10 lead into the locker room with gigantic ginger Mormon Tom Robinson providing his weird insights at the break. This guy is, let's, let's say, unique. There's a word. As I've said, I believe Blues are the class of the league overall this year. The Drua, they're a, a nice franchise, sort of still getting a feel for its surroundings, much like Moana Pacifica. It's going to be tough for them to match up this year, but it sure is fun watching. And, you know, I, I just want to say one great, great thing. Their fans are always there to support them. And even when they're down multiple tries with the clock gone red, they're still screaming their brains out as if the match could still be won at any second. It's such an easy team to love just based on their amazing fans. It's so great. However, with the Seagulls once again circling, this one came to a close with yet another Blues victory. It was 35-18 to 18 in raucous Melbourne. Definitely a weekend that has lived up to its uncreative moniker. Uh, by the way, Hurricanes versus Reds was next, and I haven't watched that yet, so please, no spoilers, because I am saving it. And then on Sunday, we had the final doubleheader with my Highlanders facing the Brumbies. Ugh, gosh, 17-28 to was the final score. Dude, Brumbies are on top in Oz, okay, but we weren't even close. I just, I seriously wonder what is wrong this year. You know, good work to the Brumbies. You guys are rolling right now. You look really sharp. And it must have meant a lot to you to get your sort of first win against the Kiwi side right on your first chance, even though my Highlanders clearly, well, suck. Dang. Well, as my friend Phil likes to say, it feels good to be good, but the flip side is equally true. It feels crappy to be crappy. Anyway, next up was, of course, Crusaders taking on the Rebels. I only have two things to say. Number one, boy, they know how to do military tributes. Today, as I record, Monday the 25th, that is Anzac Day. The tributes were on full display in the stadium. Gets me every time. And by the way, longest successful large crowd moment of silence I've ever experienced. Not even a woo anywhere in the stadium. It was amazing. Second thing is, the Crusaders are a just a machine. It, it doesn't really matter if you score first. It doesn't really matter if you come out looking good. Because eventually, they'll get into that groove where they're just adding points every five or six minutes. And you look up and you realize not only is your lead gone... You have no hope of winning whatsoever. This one was the quintessence of that very thing. <laughs> and uh, with five minutes ago, I was suddenly surprised to see the Rebels looking for a second try. Uh, you'd think they wouldn't have even gotten there. But anyway, they are just a tide of inev inevitability when they get on a roll. Crusaders demolished the Rebels, 42-17, to and a final score that flattered the Rebs a bit. I'm still sticking with my Blues win, uh, you know, my Blues pick to win it all prediction. However, you know, today, whew, started the started to have to question the old self, you know? <laughs> anyway, normally we would now look at the league table to see where we are after this round. But as I've said, I haven't watched all the games yet and don't want to yuck my own yum, as they say. Next up, of course, the glorious MLR kept trucking along for round 12. What a season it's been so far. It's really been great. On Saturday, it was Houston at home for Toronto. The Thundercats got a convincing win against a, a strange Arrows team. Very hot and cold this year. 29-17 uh, to 17 was the total. And, and you have to think, no matter how the rest of this season goes for them, Houston, they have really found some things to build on. They've seen some really bright moments this year. They have a lot of potential right now, at least, you know, at least for me. So NOLA, they played host to Austin and probably wished they had never extended the invite because Austin... They, they calmed down a little bit after their many 50-plus point weeks, but they still pretty easily won this one on the road. 10-32 to 32 was your final. Next up, friend of the pod, 
MLR stats guru James Dealey. He's looking more and more brilliant after foreseeing a sort of a late season bloom for DC. And today they dropped 50 on a reeling Dallas Jackals side, who at least managed to get a try on the day, which isn't necessarily usual. In one of my in my latest chat, I should say, with Phil from the Jacks Rangers show, he was really shoveling dirt on Old Glory, and now I'm seriously sweating over our next matchup with them. 50 to 10 was the quintuple up in that one. Woo! So Utah. They face Seattle, losing at home again in a bit of a snoozer, 14 to 20 all told. But then, of course, there was one match on Sunday, and it was big. My beloved Free Jacks, they were on the road in Hoboken for the, the two rival teams' penultimate showdown of the year. What a match it was. Just brilliant for my guys. They're coming back home with yet another impressive but oh-so-close win. What a season, man. The Free Jacks, they dominated the ball in the first half with basically two-thirds of the possession and two-thirds of the territory while forcing New Jersey to make literally more than twice as many tackles as we did. By the way, they interviewed him at halftime, and until then I didn't even realize that New Jersey had signed Waisaki Nahalo just a couple weeks ago. What a pickup for them. I love that guy. Oh, man. In any event, we again looked more potent in the first half than the second, but our defense was again enormous for us. So we re- uh, we led 7-17 to at the break. One of my favorite things at that stage was the lack of Borg-like wrappings on BW's knee. I'm guessing the bye week was just what he needed to rest that thing and get some of those trappings off of him. So we added another converted try as the clock hit 50 minutes, but the next two tries would be all New Jersey. We were again letting our opponents right back into it. Suddenly, it was 21-24, to and just into the final quarter of play, they would get in yet again, this time taking their first lead of the day. Gotta say, Mitch Wilson... Oh, Mitch Wilson, by the way, I mean, I mean, what a player. He's got that sort of Antoine Dupont thing where he simply, you simply don't believe how strong he is until you actually see something, see him do something amazing. He always makes like four or five yards more than you'd reasonably expect him to get. So impressive. What a player. We're so lucky. So there was only three minutes left when we at last retook the lead. Amazing work from the aforementioned Mitch Wilson. In this case, getting it out wide to LaRue Milan, who has been huge for us also this year. New Jersey. They were threatening. In fact, more than that, it looked like, like they were building towards a certain try with the clock already dead. But somehow, once again, our defense came through big time, getting a turnover, kicking it out to end things with a narrow victory. Victory 26 to 29 was the final. The home team was very upset with what they thought was a missed call by the ref right there at the end. But he wasn't hearing any of it. And I don't know what they were talking about. <laughs> it looked good to me. <laughs> and the final whistle, they left us winners again and brought us to an incredible Nine and one on the season. Whew. Of course, Austin, they still have more league points than we do, but they also have a, a full game in hand. Um, you know, there's no guarantees, but we definitely look very good right now, and I'm looking forward to seeing how we do in the postseason. Okay, my friends, by the music, you can surely tell it's time again for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the glory and the prestige that accompany this worldwide accolade, along with the immortality, of course. Well, all those things and more. This week, we're giving it to Jack Cardi. Mr. Cardi, I've spent hours talking about conduct in this very space, and I've lauded many of your teammates, but this week, my friend, it was all you. you. You brought your boys down to South Africa to face a team that has been on a bit of a roll. 
you navigated your way through all kinds of pitfalls, eventually pulling out a gutsy win off the tip of your own boot, winning away by a mere three points to send shivers up the league table. Mr. Cardi, you were what, what the comms like to call perfect on the day, slotting four penalties and both conversions on offer, totaling 16 points for the boys from Galway. What a win. Even I didn't see that one coming, nor even hold out that much hope, to be fair. Jack Cardi, undercapped and underutilized Irish magician, you are the lucky winner of this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. Congratulations. Well deserved. Okay, obviously, that brings us to our previews for next week. And obviously, there is a ton of rugby next week. We're going to start off with Super Saturday and Women's Six Nations. Of course, we start off with Wales facing Italy at home. Very interested to see that one for sure. In that middle slot, a bit frustratingly, I got to say, is England at home for France. Both teams looking to secure a grand slam. The Red Roses, they will surely be favorites in this one. The crowd, they're at home. It's going to be another record breaker. It's got to be. And the place is just going to be going absolutely bonkers. So you know me, though. I, I like the underdog. So I think that leaves me in the strange position of rooting for France that day. It should be interesting. Anyway, somewhat anticlimactically, Ireland. They end the tournament at home against winless Scotland. He'll be desperate to avoid the wooden spoon, but uh, uh, let's just leave it at that for now. Anyway, down in Super Rugby Pacific, first up will be Reds versus Chiefs. That will be awesome. Next, the Western Force take on the Blues. I expect a bit of a cakewalk for my pick to win it all. Then, uh, my Highlanders, they have at least some hope of getting a rare win when they take on Fijian Drua. God, what a tough year it's been for them so far. So, Waratahs. They very likely have a nigh unclimbable mountain in front of them in the form of Crusaders. And then Rebels take on take on Moana Pacifica. And finally for this round, we'll have the Brumbies taking on the Hurricanes. Man, oh man, this competition is super fun. Meanwhile, back at home in the MLR, we have three Saturday games featuring Dallas at home to face the San Diego Legion. Good luck, Will. Uh, Rugby ATL are at home for the reigning champs from LA. And of course, my beloved Free Jacks. We are back home at Fort Quincy to take on the Utah Warriors. Should be a blast, as always. It's just always so much fun. Then on Sunday, New Jersey. They're still at home. They'll be taking on NOLA. And finally, Austin are back home for Seattle. This season just keeps getting better and better, I have to say. Anyway, for the penultimate round of the URC, it's Glasgow. Still down in South Africa and looking a tad worse for the wear. They'll be hoping to get an 80-minute performance for a change uh, against the Bulls at loftus Versfeld. No real reason I mention the stadium other than enjoy, uh, that I enjoy saying the words Loftus Versfeld. It's very nice. It feels good. Anyway, Munster. They'll be at home to face Cardiff. Then Saturday begins with Lions hosting Benetton, followed by Zebra at home for Dragons. By the way, this has to be Zebra's last and greatest hope, right? They almost shocked Edinburgh away this past week. Surely a match back at home against the second worst team in the league bodes well for them. We'll see, I guess. I really want them to get a win. I didn't want it this weekend, but it would be nice if they did it next. Anyway, then the Sharks. They welcome Iconic Boys. Maybe we can get two surprise wins in a row? Uh, uh. Anyway, then it's on to an old-fashioned Welsh derby with Ospreys at home for Scarlets. Stormers, they'll also be at home. They'll be facing whoever Leinster decides to send down this week. They, I feel like I might be getting the call this week. And then finally, a great and potentially pivotal match between Edinburgh and Ulster. And I think Edinburgh will know they need to take this one much more seriously than they perhaps took this past weekend's game. Some really exciting storylines as we near the end here. And then finally, folks, in the Prem, we have only three rounds remaining. 
And with only the four slots available for postseason success, it is a very tight thing indeed. It's once again the 2-3-1 format for next weekend. Friday's matches are New, uh, Northampton hosting Harlequins and then Sale hosting Newcastle. God. Anyway, on Saturday, Gloucester. They will be home to face Bath. Leicester will be home to face Bristol. And the and Worcester will ship at least 40 to, uh, or I mean, uh, they will welcome the Saracens to six ways. They call it six ways because that's how many areas of the game in which they will be outdone. Okay, sorry about that. That was unworthy. Well, or maybe appropriately worthy. Anyway. Anywho, the Sunday fixture will, of course, be London Irish. I feel like they're always on Sunday, but they'll be taking on the Wasps this time. And that will take us to the end of round 24 and the weekend in rugby for me. Sorry about no Super uh, Scottish Super 6 yet. I'm hoping to catch some of that in a few weeks once these uh, competitions sort of wrap up. Always good stuff. Well, my friends, whew, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's just always so great to hear from you. I get so many cool voices and opinions and interesting takes. Keep them coming. I, I love it. As always, if you do want to get in touch, you can use Twitter. You can use at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. And you can always email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. As I mentioned earlier, if you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would just please me to no end. And if you like what we're doing here, there is a way you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode. So this week, as I mentioned, we got another five-star review. So thanks to that listener as well as the listener who generously bought me a beverage uh, through the Buy Me a Coffee link. What a great week for our show. So, everybody, thank you again so much for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.